from South Bend, Indiana, in the shadows of the Golden Dome, Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports bring you Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values, why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's time to get you caught up on all things Irish. Here's John Brock and Angelo DiCarlo. I'll tell you what, that music always gets me ready to go. After a week off for a bye, Notre Dame in Las Vegas tonight for a home game. It's the Shamrock Series as the 2-2 two two Fighting Irish play host of 4-1 and 16th rank BYU. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. I'm Angel DiCarlo, so glad to be with you this morning on Redeemer Radio. And those of you joining us on Iowa Catholic Radio, joined as always by John Brock. And John, Notre Dame with the early bye, as we talked about a lot last week and now comes eight straight weeks of football four of which are against ranked teams as they're currently situated starting with this matchup with BYU tonight in Las Vegas yeah it sounds like a great eight weeks of football for Notre Dame fans to me I mean a lot to build on from what's happened so far hopefully they got the job done during the bye week and uh and really you know whether or not they pull out this BYU game tonight it's a lot to look forward to. They've got a lot of big games. Wait, wait I, a think, minute, wait I think it's a lot to look I forward know, to. I know, I know. But if you say whether they pull it out, I mean, if they don't pull it out, I don't know if there's a lot to look forward to. Well, suddenly. I still, because here's what, you didn't let me finish my point. Okay, here's sorry, what I'm going to say. You off. They, they go against ranked BYU tonight. Obviously, it's a must win. Everything's a must win from here on out. But they still got a lot of games where, you know, maybe the season's not going well, but you go out and beat a ranked USC, knock them off at the end of the season. That's still fun to watch. Yeah, all right. I'll give yeah, you that. Yeah, yeah. All right. On tap on this morning's show, our Focus on Faith interview is with former Notre Dame football team chaplain, Father Paul Doyle. He first arrived on campus as an undergrad in 1961. He was a diehard Irish football fan as a kid. He's seen it all at Notre Dame as a student and a priest. Some incredible stories, including about his good friend and classmate, John Hewitt, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner, and how he went from kind of a relative unknown to the Heisman Trophy winner, and and Father Paul had a front row seat to see that, and some of his favorite memories when he was the football team chaplain, a conversation you won't want to miss next segment. We will, of course, break down the matchup with BYU, who does have a very good quarterback, something the Irish have had to deal with uh, for really most of the season. We'll hear from Marcus Freeman on the lessons he's learned as a head coach just four games in, and how is Drew Pine developing as a Notre Dame quarterback? We'll hear from Tommy Reese on that. We invite you to weigh in on our Poll question today. What do you think happens between Notre Dame and BYU tonight? Irish win by six, five or less. BYU wins by six or more or five or less. Just head to Twitter, search at Ange DiCarlo to find the poll and cast your vote. The results in our final segment. That one right now, early hint. Uh, Notre Dame fans are are pretty high on the Irish right now. Um, the, 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 the spread is only three and a half. And a lot of fans are saying the Irish are going to win by six or more. I'm, I'm kind of almost worried about how many people think Notre Dame's just going to walk on in to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas and walk all over the 16th ranked team in the country. Uh, yeah, it's been a roller coaster with these polls you put out on. I mean, yeah. it's been up and down all season, and and yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, they did have a great win against North Carolina. They had a bye week to prepare, but I mean, North Carolina wasn't ranked in the top 20, and BYU is, and. It is technically a home game, but it's all the way out in Las Vegas. A lot of outside variables. It's going to be interesting. And maybe the fact that BYU only beat Wyoming by two touchdowns two weeks ago and was trailing for a good chunk of game against Utah State and then ultimately won 38-26, maybe those are the reasons. It's not like Notre Dame was great against Cal in their victory and certainly lost to Marshall. And BYU, though, 4-1 on the season. They do have a win over Baylor. And their only losses to Oregon. So these are, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And certainly this is the Shamrock Series game and technically a home game for the Irish, but BYU certainly a lot closer just to state over. Notre Dame, again, is the favorite in this one, but the Irish will have the home field advantage in terms of the fan base. Um, I saw some of the, the tweets and the videos from last night. They were taking over the Vegas Strip. There was a huge pep rally right on the Strip. Uh, fans were fired up. They're ready to go. Um, I'm sure people were out late last night. It'll be a 4.30 local time kickoff, 7.30 here uh, uh, in the East Coast. And and I, I, I'm not totally surprised Notre Dame's the favorite in this one, but um, it's very rare Notre Dame would be the favorite when they're unranked against the 16th ranked team in the country. 
Yeah, it's I, I was surprised when I when I read that they were the favorite in the game. Obviously, I, I do think they have a little bit of that momentum coming, even with the bye week, coming from that win and some momentum added by that fan base traveling so well to Las Vegas. I mean, they did have uh, 35 first downs in that UNC game, and that's the most they've had since 1974. So they did have that production on offense, which has been the weakness, but there's still a lot of things that, that they need to work out. And when you're facing a ranked opponent, it's going to need to be flawless. By the way, I mentioned uh, the pep rally out there. That happened around like 9, 10 o'clock local time, uh, midnight, 1, 1 a.m. here out in uh, South Bend. The team was not a part of that because they had bed check at 8.30 local time. Uh, Marcus Freeman claiming he was doing bed check himself to make sure there would be no distractions in the Sin City. So, um, again, that, that was a funny little anecdote this week. Now, uh, let's go to some injury updates and then as well as some departures for the team uh right now Marcus Freeman did indicate safeties DJ Brown and Ramon Henderson should be good to go that's the good news the bad news they this one caught a lot of people off guard Jacob Lacey who you may remember was really good against Cal five tackles two sacks he's left the team and this does not sound like any bad blood or anything like that they're just really deep at defensive line he's not getting enough time as the backup and by leaving after four games, he gets to preserve a redshirt year, which means he gets an extra full year of eligibility wherever he transfers next year. So he gets two years of college football somewhere else. It's just kind of the state of where college football is. It's surprising, but not surprising all at the same time, John. Yeah, it's, it is, you said, it, the state of college football today. It's not necessarily about, you know, staying with that team and the, the really the team and and loyalty mentality you know you have NIL you have uh, the transfer portal opening up and so really the players are deciding to do what's best for them and that's what we're seeing with Lacey he sees an opportunity to build his stock better and somewhere else and he's taking it and uh, from what I understand that's why there, there seems to be a, a good relationship still between him and, and the Notre Dame staff where they understand what's going on. How tough is that though for the Irish to lose a player of that caliber who would start, and if Jason Anamiola and Isaiah Foskey did not return to Notre Dame, he'd be he'd be starting probably on that Notre Dame defensive line. Yeah, I think he'd be starting on most defensive lines in the yeah. country, and that's why he's leaving. But uh, it is it is a tough loss because you never know when one of those defensive linemen is going to go down. And yeah, that would be a great guy to have ready to fill in. So that is a, a tough loss for the Irish. All right, uh, Irish practiced three times last week. During the bye week, they gave a lot of the, the the guys that needed the rest, the rest they needed. Got a lot of younger players going in one-on-one situations to see whether or not they're ready to contribute. <coughs> Tobias <coughs> Merriweather. <coughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't get that all up. Maybe <coughs> they're going to try to get Tobias May Merriweather involved. I don't know. It does not sound like it. Uh, but the question is, is that a little... It's not sounding like it, and they do have them ready to go. They they got to get some production at wide receiver. This is the best time as ever to try to get a kid like that in the game. Hey, they they do need to, to get some production, whether or not he's ready, whether or not the, the bye week helped. And and I see you Draw it up and for those sand. He's shaking his head over there, but, but hopefully the bye week helped him because I don't think he was ready at the start of the season to really be a contributor on this offense. And we saw a, a handful of mistakes, and he was just not oh, there. Yeah. And they, the question is, did the coaching staff do enough and did he do enough the past few weeks to get to that point where he's ready to go when they have this long stretch at the end of the season? For the record, uh, it started with a fake cough that has turned into a real cough there by <laughs> doing the fake cough. So uh, if I do it again, it, might, it would actually not be intentional. All right. <laughs> uh, so obviously Notre Dame's learned a lot in the first four games, especially Marcus Freeman as a new head coach. Here's Marcus Freeman on the lessons he's learned through the first month of the season. Can you really have a mindset of constant improvement? No matter how well you do, right? You can win a national championship. The next day you wake up, it's still going to be a challenge. To, how can you get better? You know, because you know those around you are getting better. And it's a lot easier to improve, I think, maybe when you're not doing so well, right? Where you're dying, you're, you're just dying for a way to get better than maybe if you are doing well. And that's a challenge for us. We won two games, right? 
And I, I quickly remind our guys, we have to have the same mindset in terms of evaluation and preparation that we had after the Marshall game. Because what happens is winning can mask that, right? Winning can mask the reality of, of what's going on in a game. And so that's what the challenge is for me as a leader, for us as a football program, is to truly find ways to have constant improvement no matter what the outcome of the game or a season is. That right there is why I'm going to say one of the strangest things you'll hear me say in this show's history. Today is a trap game. Because uh, Notre Dame fans are feeling good. That means they are not... I mean, if you tweet at players and say you're terrible, you're you're a fool and you shouldn't do that. But you know what happens. Uh, classmates aren't saying, hey, what's wrong with you guys? You know what I mean? And they're coming off a very nice win over North Carolina. You're feeling good about yourself. Everyone thinks you're going to beat BYU's the 16th-ranked team in the country, and they're the 16th-ranked team in the country. Winning does mask sometimes the, the flaws you have, and this team still has a lot of flaws, John. I am concerned about what may happen here because of all the circumstances boiling up into this game. Yeah, it's definitely a tough position for this Irish team to be in because you're facing a team that's ranked higher than you that is an equally challenging team, and everyone thinks you're going to win, and that's a tough place to be in. And, you know, as as Freeman talks about, you know, they can't have that complacency that comes along with the support behind your team. And they really – his awareness of it is step number one, but they really need to do what they uh, they can in practice – like he said, preparing like it's after a loss to Marshall. You have to be on your game at all times when you're going in uh, to a, a neutral stadium against a top 20 team. The problem is I don't think you can recreate the distractions that come with that losing to a team like Marshall. You can't create the the professor making a comment in class or the guy when you're walking down the quad, what you may hear and the whispers you may see, you know, in South Dining Hall. You know what I mean? You can't you can't recreate that stuff. And or even from family members texting, hey, you doing okay? You know, whatever it is, you can't recreate that sense of urgency that comes away from the football field. You can recreate it probably in practice in terms of what's on the field, but I don't know if you can recreate it outside the box. That's true, but I think what you see from teams who have a loss like that against Marshall early on, some are able to carry forward through the rest of the season with that chip on their yeah, shoulder. Yeah, right, that's fair. And so far, we've seen it a little bit. I mean, slow start against Cal, but we saw a chip at the end against Cal, and we definitely saw it against North Carolina, and if they can continue that, I think it could really boost them through the season. All right, so North Carolina, this is where the false hope really comes in because, again, North Carolina's defense is horrible. You know, they're a good team overall because they have a really good offense, but their defense is horrible, and it makes you think, okay, are you feeling too good about your offense right now? Three running backs, Chris Tyree, Logan Diggs, Audrick Estime, all over 100 yards from scrimmage last week. So you're feeling, okay, here we go, offensive line, running backs, Drew Pine playing well. Here's Audrey Gestime and offensive candidate Tommy Reese on the success the Irish have had in the run game so far. The game we just had is definitely for sure a confidence booster. I felt great for all of us because just all the hard work we put in finally got to pay off and show, and we got to show the abilities that we have. So I feel like that's definitely a big confidence booster and a game that we're definitely going to build off of. You know, it's funny. I actually thought the passing game helps the run game last week, which is different, but like, you got to make them defend the width. You got to make them defend a vertical. And when you can get some advantageous boxes, you know, we were very efficient in both run and pass. Um, look, the, being able to run the ball takes alleviates a lot of pressure off a lot of people. And uh, certainly that's something we want to be able to hang our hat on. You know, we feel like we have a great offensive line, tight ends, backs, like we have the pieces and we just got to continue to play together. I mean, I think it was a very interesting statement and probably an accurate one from Tommy Reese that the pass game probably did help things out in the run game. When when you don't have to worry about them throwing all these guys in the box because you can actually throw the ball downfield, that, that does help the run game out a lot. Well, and he said one thing. Uh, we feel like we have a great offensive line and we should be able to get things going. He needs to to realize what he said at the start of that, which, yeah, the pass game opened up the run game. You watched the beginning of that North Carolina game. 
they couldn't get anything going running. And then they start completing a few passes, Chris Tyree with a great catch, and then they start getting more yards on the run. And he needs to, the, their team needs to realize that schematically and not try and force the run without opening both sides up. Yeah, they, they have to establish the run, but like you said, they have to establish the threat of the pass. And that's what it, opens it up. It's, it's not so much the actual pass game, it's the threat of the pass that opens up the run game. And that's what they, they really need to have happen. With that said, Drew Pine struggled, of course, against Cal, uh, was better in the second half of that game, and then was really good after that initial start against North Carolina. He ended up being 24 of 34, 289 yards and three touchdowns last, uh, well, two weeks ago now, uh, in his first road start again. But North Carolina's defense, that's a good team to face in a confidence-building situation. They're just horrible as a defensive unit. But he was able to work things out, and maybe the confidence is what he needed at this point. Yeah, I, I definitely I think it was the perfect time for the, those games. He faced Cal to start and then UNC, and so good ways for him to start, but you don't like what you see. I mean, he had 47% in the first quarter of each of those games is his completion mm. percentage. And then in the third th or in the second through fourth quarter of each game, 81% total. Wow. So you see it's it's – He's not getting it right from the start, and there definitely needs to be some improvement there. Yeah, they uh, th that would help. And here's Tommy Reese talking a little bit about Drew Pine's development after starting two games. Remember, it's his first two games he started, at, you know, compared to maybe the first three weeks of the season when he was the backup. Yeah, nothing can replicate actually playing a game or taking the field. Um, you know, I think we got to continue to find a way to start fast. You know, that's somewhere where the first two starts we got to got to improve upon. Um, you know, I think you saw him get into a rhythm and, and uh, you know, find some confidence, you know, some of the down-the-field passing game and, you know, really taking ownership of what we're trying to do offensively. And, you know, you hope week to week you see steady improvement and you hope, you know, after the course of, you know, prolonged season you see a, a different player as we get, you know, going towards the back half of the schedule. How important is a fast start for Pine and this offense to kind of keep that confidence going that it seems like they have coming out of the North Carolina game? Yeah, they, they as I said, that statistic, they've started slow, and, and Pine has started very slow. I don't know that they need to necessarily get to that full, you know, fast start right off the bat and push that because that could cause mistakes and, and bad things, but there, there's a lot of space in there for them to improve and, and come off with a good start and not necessarily push it too hard. Yeah, I mean, you want to, if you can score on the opening drive, that's what you want, but you at least got to move the chains a little bit, yes. see some success, uh, establish that deep threat, you don't even have to necessarily complete the pass, but if it's pretty close, then all of a sudden BYU's got to respect you in that backfield. Uh, one other note, Stephen Jelly getting a lot more reps as the number two quarterback, now starting to be more in a position where they can run more than six plays with him, right? I mean, that that's important because he's one play away from being the starting quarterback. Yeah, that was your third string at the start of the season. You're not too concerned yeah, about the point, team. the point that he's at uh, at the start. But now, you know, you have to have him ready, and it's really good. Having that early bye week, especially after the, the yeah, Buckner right. injury, yep. is very helpful for him, getting him ready for the last eight weeks of the season. All right, Irish Sports Saturdays. Thanks Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting the show. as the largest Catholic-oriented credit union in America. Notre Dame FCU serves the church in many dioceses. For 80-plus years, they put people over profits. NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Coming up, a... A lot more on the matchup with BYU when we return my conversation with former Notre Dame football chaplain, Father Paul Doyle. As a kid in Virginia, he and his family would drive up to the top of the Blue Ridge Mountains so they could hear the Notre Dame games better on radio. A diehard Irish fan who eventually became team chaplain, an interview that will just make you smile. That's next when Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays returns on Redeemer Radio and Iowa Catholic Radio. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. The Golden Rule. When you schedule a financial checkup with Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our people will be helpful and honest and kind. They will look for ways to save you money, and when your checkup is complete, they will send $150 to Redeemer Radio. For more info, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
Irish Sports Saturdays is partially underwritten by Indiana Physical Therapy, serving Indiana's physical therapy needs since 1988. With 21 locations, Indiana Physical Therapy continues as an independent therapist-owned company with a heart towards patient-focused care. Indiana Physical Therapy, where people go to get better. It's time now for our Focus on Faith interview, and it's with one of our most beloved priests for many people that have any association with Notre Dame, Father Paul Doyle, CSC. Father Doyle was team chaplain for the football team from 2001 to 2012. He was the rector at Dillon Hall from 1997 to 2020. Now runs the Holy Cross House, an assisted living facility for retired priests who need extra help. Father Doyle grew up a Notre Dame fan in a small town in Virginia. His family used to drive up to the top of the mountains to be able to hear games. He also has incredible perspectives. He spent pretty much the last 60 years on campus. He shares some incredible stories of his life, of Notre Dame football, and of Notre Dame as a whole. Here's Focus on Faith with Father Paul Doyle. You first arrived as an undergrad in 1961, but you had been here before that with uh, some brothers that, that previously were here. Obviously, a lot has changed at Notre Dame in, in the 60-plus years, but Kind of tell me what hasn't changed. What hasn't changed at Notre Dame um, in, in those 60 years? Well, my freshman year, zip codes were invented. We haven't changed the zip code. Uh, most everything else seems to have changed, as has our world. The focal point of the place is still the grotto and the basilica. I hope that never changes. That's uh, seem to recall that every once in a while in the local press they make a story about the grotto notre dame in general being the second most visited place in the state after the brick track in indianapolis and i don't think that's changed the love of sports the importance of football hasn't changed the vicissitudes of the strength of our programs has changed but uh it's still very important here that football put Notre Dame on the map in many ways. So uh, that's important and certainly relevant to this conversation. You know, you grew up in, in Virginia and all your brothers and you ended up here at Notre Dame. How did you guys become such big Notre Dame fans? My dad graduated from Mount St. Mary's College in Emmitsburg, Maryland uh, in 1924. And Newt Rockney was doing well here. Our town in central Virginia, Lynchburg, is 2 or 3% Catholic even to this day. So it was a rallying point for Catholics. And it happened that uh, one parish in my town of 60,000 in those days, uh, my youth, mostly Irish, so uh, I didn't take note of that. That's all the more reason that we would have fallen in line with uh, Notre Dame. My dad determined that his boys would go to school here, and all four of us did and loved it. In fact, I have one brother buried here on campus. So that's the background. I remember as a child listening to Notre Dame games on the radio in the late 40s when you could only get a play every now and then because most of it was crackling. The reception was so bad. We'd get in a car and go on out of town um, 10 miles to the Blue Ridge Mountains and get up on top of a mountain, and we could hear better, uh, hear the game better up there. I remember crying when I was 10 years old or so. Purdue beat us and broke a winning streak that we had going, and uh, I just distinctly remember the disappointment in that game. And so I've been a born and bred. It was it was fated that I would come to Notre Dame, it seems. And as a priest, I just sort of hung around. After graduating with an econ degree in 65, I worked for six years and served in the Army National Guard rather than go to Vietnam. And after those six years, I came back to Notre Dame and got in the seminary and have been on campus most of the time since. I've been here a while, and I love the place. My life has been in Catholic education, and and I'm the beneficiary of that myself. I haven't been to anything but Catholic schools. When did you know you wanted to become a priest? I guess I was out of here a year 
when I figured it out that uh, this is what um, I wanted to do. I, my way of saying it was I thought it would was the thing that would make God most happy if I became a priest, and I was telling that to one of my peers as a young priest, and he said he thought God was already happy, and he became a priest uh, because he thought it would make him happy. I thought that was a pretty good answer, too. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I guess I was about 23, but again, I'm red, white, and blue, and I had this commitment of six years in the guard, and I felt like I was growing up a bit after college. Uh, I was far from my home, so I was getting a chance to incorporate the values that I had been taught on my own, and uh, I showed up at 28, so it was a sort of a delayed response more than a delayed vocation, probably. <laughs> you know, uh you're listening to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. I'm Angel DiCarlo. Our guest here on our Focus on Faith interview is Father Paul Doyle, CSC, former Notre Dame football team chaplain, also the longtime rector at Dillon Hall for 23 years from 1997 to 2020. Obviously, as we mentioned, you've, you've been here for so many years uh, and you were such a big fan. So what are some of your favorite memories while you were on campus, whether it was an undergrad or you know, be, before you became chaplain. We could talk about when, once you became chaplain, but just as a fan, what were some of your favorite memories, uh, you know, growing up as, as an undergrad and then um, as a priest here at Notre Dame? I would say uh, as a fan, I was in the class with Hewitt and Snow. They graduated in 65 also, and uh, they were my friends. Uh, I remember freshman year, I was in the same dorm as Jack Snow, who was from Long Beach, California, and obviously didn't go home for Thanksgiving. In those days, freshmen couldn't play varsity ball, but uh, someone in the athletic department took him uh, out to their house, a wealthy fella, just for Thanksgiving dinner, and Jack asked if he could bring a friend, so I went along to that home and uh, had a great Thanksgiving dinner. So there was a football friend from freshman year, and there were several because of the, there were fewer dorms in those days, and every dorm has football players. I remember uh, John Hewitt played very, very little until his senior year when Arab Parsegian got here, and it was uh, so, so gratifying. We had been friends, Hewitt and I, coming through school, but... He was not a hero yet, and to, so that's a great memory to see my classmate in his senior year go from a relative unknown. The players recognized his talent and uh, used to call him Stevie Wonder uh, in his junior year because he would get put in the game when there was 90 seconds to go, and uh, they were hoping he could pull us through, but... Uh, he showed lots of promise, but Era capitalized on it, and Hewitt had a, a great senior year. Uh, another memory related to that is he hurt his shoulder um, somewhere in the junior year. Maybe it was late in the football season or in the spring training, but the alternatives were to have surgery or not have surgery, sort of like uh, our first-string quarterback this year uh, who had surgery on his shoulder. I don't know that there was the same injury, but uh, local people suggested surgery, and Hewitt went to Chicago and got another opinion, and they said, no, don't do it. And in that case, he was able to play his senior year. If he had had surgery, he probably wouldn't have been well. So anyway, that's a happy memory. What's that like uh to see one of your classmates have that type of success. And as you mentioned, when maybe it came out of nowhere, I'm sure you guys had confidence in him. He had confidence in himself, but he had to have the opportunity to, to go from relative unknown, as you mentioned, to becoming a Heisman winner, not just the quarterback at Notre Dame, the Heisman winner. What was that like to experience as a friend? Gosh, it, it was just so exhilarating. He, he got the Heisman Trophy a few days before he got his first letter, 
as a varsity athlete at Notre Dame, the football banquet was after the Hasman Trophy banquet. So uh, that was a source of amusement for sure, that it, here's a guy with a Hasman Trophy who didn't have a letter at Notre Dame. But uh, he, he was a very humble guy, just a, a great human being as he continues to be. Father Paul, Paul Doyle, former Notre Dame football chaplain, joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Okay, you become chaplain in 2001. You served in that role till through 2012. You know, as someone who grew up a fan, had has been here so long. What kind of what did that mean to you to have that opportunity to be the, the football team chaplain when once you got it? Like so many other things in my experience here at Notre Dame priesthood in particular. Uh, they've just been awesome surprises. I never expected to be football chaplain. I was rector of a dorm, and uh, even though I'm rabid on the subject, I was, um, you know, friends start showing up on Friday morning and they leave Sunday afternoon, and I've got a busy life running a dorm. And uh, so often I would just skip the game and take a nap or work on a homily for the, the mass that we had in the dorm after the game and students on Sunday. But uh, Kevin White asked the director of campus ministry to ask me to be the chaplain. So I was uh, thrilled and humbled and said yes. And But I said that I didn't want to be the chaplain for away games because I didn't want to be out of the dorm overnight on a weekend. Uh, so I was really the chaplain just for home games, and various other priests took the away games. Of course, I went to bowl games when the, no students were around and chaplained those, but it was a great, great experience. I think my favorite memory, Angelo, is uh, of... We beat Purdue in the Ty Willingham era on a real hot afternoon in September. I bet the temperature was 85 or more. And the game takes a long time, as you know. Uh, and the at the end of the game, the chaplain's in the locker room first, and he gives a blessing to the athletes as they come in, a single foul or two by two. And the first guy was 20 steps ahead of everybody else. And I said, may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this enormous defensive lineman came to me after that blessing. He just kept proceeding toward me as the locker room was behind me. He said, thank you for the blessing, Father, but what I really need is a hug. And he picked me up like I was a feather. And uh, that was probably my favorite mem memory of being a chaplain, just uh, the goodness of the athletes. I have told many people that I would be glad to call any of the athletes I knew in those years a relative because the quality of human being really impressed me. And that's a, a little example of the goodness of these young people. Another memory I have from the sidelines was I was headed toward the locker room. There was something like a minute and a half on the clock. In those days, the team did not stop in front of the student body and sing as they do now. But the, after the game, they just ran up to the locker room. So I would typically leave before the game ended, you know, a minute, minute and a half, just to get there before they did so I could offer that blessing to them as they entered the locker room. Well, uh, it was 10 minutes to 5, and uh, the NBC man uh, said, where are you going, Father? And I explained that I needed to be in the locker room. And uh, he said, the game doesn't end until 5. And I said, there are just 75 seconds left, 90 seconds. And he said, the game doesn't end until 5. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was an awakening for me. They they managed enough timeouts to eat up 10 minutes in that for 90 seconds of play. So lots of memories, uh, good people, a lot of fun. Uh, my dad was rabid, of course, about Notre Dame football, even though he hadn't gone to school here. But uh, he died in 78, and uh, I couldn't help often but think how happy he was watching me there on the sideline from his perch in heaven. 
I've been at this a long time, this Notre Dame stuff. Indeed you have. And, you know, I just, I was curious, as chaplain, you mentioned giving the blessing after the game. Of all the rituals you got to be a part of, whether it was that or pregame mass, is is one of them, not just one particular story, but is one of those rituals something that stood out to you as maybe the most rewarding for you to to kind of be a part of with, with the team as a whole? I think the pregame mass was uh, the answer there, and it was usually held in the Lady Chapel, as it is today, uh, of the Basilica, and uh, the whole team was there and the coaching staff, but no one else. And I remember the first day that I had that mass, Father Jim really had been the chaplain for the football team for 30-some years, and uh, he got to the point where with neuropathy and, and just the aging process, he was not able to do it anymore. And he, in that first Mass that I had there, he said, I don't want to preach, I don't want to help give out communion, but I want to kind of celebrate, and I want to say something to the team after the Mass. And I said, fine, of course. And so after Mass, this was uh, the first game we played after 9-11, by the way, uh, he said to the team, uh, you know, President Bush has said the best thing we can do as a country is get back to normal as soon as we can and not let the terrorists think that they have destroyed our way of life um, or upended our culture and society. So uh, we need to get back to normal as soon as we can. And it's normal for Notre Dame to win football games, so we owe it to the country to win this game. <laughs> I don't remember any of my homilies from those games, but I certainly remember what Jim really told the team that day. <laughs> That's a fabulous story. Uh, you know, you, you spent 23 years as director at Dillon Hall. What was that experience like for you? And 23 years as a rector is a very long time. How did you survive that long as director at Dillon? Oh, it was a thrill. My classmates would come back and see me sitting there in my room on a Saturday night, students in and out, and they would say, Doyle, how do you get work like this, seeing all these good young people? And uh, I think I'm a much better person for having lived with them. Uh, Manti Teo was one of them, and he's been in the press a bit lately, and it's uh, a memory I have of him, especially in the—he lived—we have Milkshake Mass at uh, Dillon Hall. He's not a Catholic. He didn't go to Mass, but he would drink a couple of milkshakes freshman year uh, every Thursday night after Mass. In fact, he lived across the hall from me, and we would take them to him. He was already in bed. This was 11 o'clock at night, and uh, but he would swill a couple of milkshakes. But then uh, his sophomore year, the coach got a dietitian, and he wouldn't drink any more milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of changed his program. But I remember somebody asking Manti after it was found out that he had been uh, taken advantage of, was he going to sue that person? And he said, just showing what a quality human being he is, a great, he was serious about his Mormon faith and still is, but he loves Notre Dame as much as anybody. Anyway, his answer to that question, are you going to sue that fella? He said, it wouldn't make either one of us happier. You know, having gotten to know him and seeing now, I guess the closure he's finally gotten here with, with all the, with the documentary that came out, how gratifying is that to see that he's able to have that and can now live the life um, that he wants to live and everything like that. It's just a, a, a great example of healing as far as I'm concerned and uh, a beautiful man maturing, uh, a, a fellow who keeps on growing. I guess that's the biggest compliment I can pay somebody is that they keep on growing. And certainly uh, he has done that through all of this and what an ordeal he has had father doyle thank you so much for for taking the time to be with us and sharing your memories here uh, uh at notre dame it's a treat and a surprise angelo I, I guess you scratch me and i can talk about this place quite a bit i didn't know what we were going to say but you're 
question certainly triggered some uh, neat thoughts in my head. It's a treat. Thank you. Father Paul Doyle, CSC. Uh, I, I, John, we're listening to it. There's so many points where we're like, that's a great story. That's a great story. And, of course, we're also reacting about the accent, uh, a boat, and uh, <laughs> the different things that he was saying in particular. Uh, that was great. What a great man. Yeah, that was an awesome interview. That was my first time hearing it, and it was just wonderful. And he gives some great perspective. All that He started off with all that change and still the Constance, the Basilica, the Grotto, and the football team. And just a, a great perspective on the university. I know he's just touched a, a million people that have come through that place. I know he baptized my brother. Um, I wasn't there. He's older than me, so I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. But I know he baptized my brother, and one of the stories my parents would tell me is he always – he, when he baptized my brother, he would let all of our cousins and, and the kids there help baptize the brother. So uh. just one of those things about him where he makes everyone feel included, and that's why he just he has so many stories about so many great people that have come through because he touches everyone. He had more stories, too, that we didn't include <laughs> on the uh, interview there on the radio, so we'll have the full interview on our podcast feed uh, as well, so you can tune in and listen to, uh, including uh, his favorite spots on campus to, to pray especially, so that'll be worth the listen to as well uh, if you search out our podcast for Irish Sports Saturdays. All right, support for Irish Sports Saturdays comes from Tony Letcher of Health Markets, Tony, a parishioner at Quinnipiac's Catholic Church in Mishawaka and a licensed insurance agent. His services include Medicare, family, or individual health insurance or life insurance. His number is 855-776-2438. His website is tletcher.com. Time for a timeout. When we return, it's our game day sprint to kickoff. We break down the matchup against BYU, including trying to contend with Cougars quarterback Jaron Hall. That's next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Support for programming on Redeemer Radio is provided by the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. The DeNicola Center is committed to sharing the richness of the Catholic moral and intellectual tradition, both on campus and in the wider public square. Learn more about the DeNicola Center and see our schedule of upcoming conferences, lectures, and events at ethicscenter.nd.edu. This is a talented football team that's 4-1, um, plays extremely hard. They're a veteran football team, and, and not just with age, but with experience of playing the game. And uh, we've got we got our work cut out for us, so our guys will be motivated and ready to roll. That's Notre Dame football coach Marcus Freeman on BYU. The Cougars ranked 16th in the country, 4-1. Tonight's matchup in Las Vegas, Notre Dame and BYU, 7-30 Eastern kickoff, 4-30 out there in Vegas time, and of course, this is the 11th Shamrock Series game. The Irish are 10-0 all time in these games. They beat Wisconsin last year at Soldier Field, ninth time that BYU and Notre Dame have met. First meeting since 2013, Notre Dame leads the all-time series 6-2. to Okay, let's talk about the Notre Dame offense versus the BYU defense. BYU's defense is, I wouldn't say bad, but it's not a strength, but it's certainly not as bad as North Carolina's defense. Let's start there. Yeah, it's not the same weak point that North Carolina had, but it's definitely not the strong point of the 16th-ranked yeah. team. They they have 93rd in rush defense in the country, so clearly they're, they're not an amazing defense that is going to be able to stop everything, but it's not something to just overlook and, and think, oh, Notre Dame trample North Carolina's defense they can do the same against BYU they're gonna have to prepare harder and know know their keys better but it, it is not quite that top level defense they, they're giving up 26.4 points per game they gave up 26 points against Utah State last week they gave up 24 against Wyoming they have not had a game where they've held anyone under 20 points so um that's of note now they do force some turnovers uh you know uh, linebacker Max Tooley has two interceptions that he's returned for touchdowns so literally turning turnovers into points and then also linebacker Ben Bywater has uh forced two interceptions as well so uh, they do have that going for them. well and that's what caught my attention because you got Drew Pine back there he's not been playing perfect and against North Carolina if you go back and watch early in that first quarter 
he does make a few bad calls, throwing the ball downfield into double coverage, things like that. And you can't make those mistakes against these linebackers who are making heads-up plays and, and really they, they are in control of that defense and they're playing smart and Pine needs to match that. Support for Irish Sports Saturdays comes from Tyrac. Tyrac also underwrites our internship program with students from our two Michiana Catholic High Schools, St. Joseph and Marion. The students receive practical college-level internship experience and class credit as they help out with our broadcasts of high school football and basketball. More tires, great prices, Tyrac.com. Okay, let's talk about Notre Dame's defense now against BYU's offense. This is kind of where we feel the game probably will get decided. BYU's offense is pretty good but not as good as North Carolina. So that's like kind of difference. They're almost similar to North Carolina, just not as good or not as bad on the respective sides of the ball. But it starts with Jaron Hall, the quarterback. He's completing 70% of his passes. And how about this number? 12 touchdown passes, only one interception. That's a Big gap of numbers right there for for Jaron Hall, who, you know, averages 288 yards passing per game. Yeah, I I mean, you know, it's not quite that wowing offense that North Carolina has, but it's a consistent and efficient offense. They don't make many mistakes. I mean, one turnover all season, that interception is it. There's only uh, four teams in the country that are that low. They're all tied for first. One of those other ones, USC, who Notre Dame faces later. So uh, that's a, a wowing fact. But also, they just, they they aren't quite that star-studded receiver core, that great team, but they are consistent and they are tough to beat. So it might not look like on paper that they're, you know, that same offense that North Carolina has, but they're a much cleaner and effect, more effective offense. Well, and here's the thing. Now, we, we've mentioned these turnovers on both sides of the ball. Notre Dame doesn't force turnovers. Yeah. BYU doesn't give them up. Notre Dame has, has given the ball up a little bit, and BYU likes to take it away. You know, you talk about a way that BYU wins this game, you know, they go plus one, plus two in turnovers, you know, good night. Yeah, know? especially if it's early in the game, too. If if they're able to take advantage early of those slow starts that Notre Dame has had on offense and strike early with turnovers or just taking advantage of field position, that could be a, a, a really good way for them to get out to a good, or a good start and possibly just bury Notre Dame early. And we talk about they got great depth in their wide receiver core, does BYU. They have three guys with 15 catches or more. They're running back. Christopher Brooks, uh, he only averages about 60 yards rushing uh, per game, but does average six yards per carry, so that's worth noting. Here's uh, Riley Mills and Jack Kaiser from Notre Dame's defense on BYU's offense. The experience off the offensive line. Um, they got guys coming back. Um, I think they're like all 25 or 26 years old. So it'll be a good challenge for us up front. Um, you know, guys that know you know their technique and they'll come out you know with great effort. So for us, it's just you know about matching that and doing what we can every play. <laughs> the the whole back seven, we're gonna have to be on top of our game. Um, Communication wise, you know, just we can't have any breakdowns. Um, last week, you know, North Carolina week, you know, unfortunately we had some you know breakdowns and we can't let that happen this week. Um, but, you know, it's the whole defense. If we can get a rush up front, that significantly helps the back seven. If we can cover back, you know, in the back seven, you know, and we can get home up front, like, it all comes hand in hand. And so, you know, it's, it's the whole defense, and we just got to do our thing um, and work together. That's right, Jack Kaiser and Riley Mills as uh, Notre Dame's defense preparing for this challenge here against uh, BYU's offense. And certainly, again, it, it's going to be one. What are your – what are your keys to the game here, uh, John, you feel like for Notre Dame? Yeah, I, I think the keys are not too different from two weeks ago. I think on offense, you know, you have to limit the mistakes. If it's turnovers against this defense that has been known to force them, that could be detrimental. And, and so Drew Pine and that offense need to not make mistakes. The defense needs to hold steady. They need to find success early. They, Tommy Reese said fast start. They, they say they need to have a fast start. They just need to have a good start. They maybe score, maybe not on the first drive, but find success, find what's working, and build on that. And the defense just needs to to be forcing uh, uncomfortable situations against BYU. All right, our poll question was, what happens tonight? You know, does Notre Dame win by six or more, five or less? Does BYU win by five or less or six or more? 55% say Notre Dame wins by six or more. The point spread's three and a half. I raised it a little bit because I know you get those Notre Dame fans that – but. It's a good litmus test on the confidence factor. We've done that poll where we say how many wins they're going to end up. We didn't have to do it this week because they didn't play last week. So <laughs> we'll revise that one next week again. But to see 
uh, 55%. In fact, that ends up being 74% say Notre Dame's winning the game against the 16th-ranked team in the country. That's a high-confidence poll from from uh, this Irish fan base. Are you a little surprised that they're that confident Notre Dame's going to win? Yeah, uh, especially 55% at, at six or more. I mean, that that's majority of people thinking Notre Dame's going to walk in and just walk out with this one. And I, I don't know that even with the – they did have good performances, but even with that – uh, walking in and walking out, I don't think is ever on the table with this team right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be fair. All right, what what say you? What do you think happens here in this one? I I think that the the line has it right. I think it's going to be a close game, right around three points. And really, it's going to come down to the end of the game and could go either way. But I think Notre Dame gets a three point win, thirty one to twenty eight. Ah, man, we're too close. I almost feel like I should be uh, changing my prediction here. Um, I'm going to go with Notre Dame wins 30-26. to I don't know how BYU ends up with 26 points, but I feel like it's going to be one of those games that weird stuff's going to happen, and it's just going to be like, you know, there's going to be, I don't want to say a safety, but something silly is going to happen. You know, you're going to have a uh, special teams, by the way, worth noting, BYU's special teams is not very good. They don't have a very good kicker, so that could be a factor, maybe a missed extra point, maybe some missed field goals that are going to be in play in this one as well so keep that in mind that could be an advantage for Notre Dame and that's not often an advantage for Notre Dame is in terms of their special team so that that could be a possibility that Notre Dame takes advantage of things in that regard and able to come away we talked a lot about the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball all right that'll do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays Notre Dame FCU where you bank does matter thanks to our audio operator today Zach Smith for John Brock I'm Angel DiCarlo Notre Dame versus BYU in Las Vegas a 7.30 p.m. Eastern kickoff, 6.30 p.m. Central kickoff in Sin City. You can watch nationally on NBC, and we'll, of course, be back with you next Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. We close our pregame the same way the Irish traditionally close their pregame in prayer. Hi, this is Father Nate Wills. I'm a Holy Cross priest, a faculty member at Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, and one of the chaplains to the Notre Dame football team. This is a prayer that the players pray together at the end of our pregame Mass. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech you, O Lord our God, that we may enjoy continual health of mind and body, and by the glorious intercession of Mary our Lady, may we accept the joys and trials of this life and someday enter into eternal happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Enjoy today's game. Isn't it amazing when we get to see God work in powerful ways? Multiple times recently, God has pulled me out of my comfortable Catholic bubble into the path of people with vastly different experiences. Through these encounters, I've learned that God is showing me how to accompany and evangelize His sons and daughters who are disengaged from the church. At Redeemer Radio and Spoke Street Media, God is doing the same. He is moving and calling us to incredible things in our ministry. Every investment you make helps us re-engage fallen away Catholics and reach seekers by researching needs in order to hone in on programming that speaks Christ into those needs. Your contributions also allow us to reach more people where they are consuming media every day. Here at Spoke Street Media, we create faithful Catholic content that affirms all listeners' dignity and points to Jesus, who alone can satisfy the longings of every heart. God is always sending us a message of love. Together we can help more people hear it.